Hello and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr, where we talk about the art and culture of running a record label. And today is another episode of Industry Insiders. It's been a while since we've done an Industry Insiders episode and we've got more to come. But today we're focusing on the topic of Record Store Day. And at the time of recording this, we're actually just a few days away from Record Store Day. And we're going to talk a lot about in this interview about what we can all do to get prepared and to help out our local record stores when it comes to Record Store Day. We dive into the topic of Record Store Day, the history of it, and some of the kind of, I think, myths and and misconceptions about uh, what it's doing or what it isn't doing in the music industry. I found this interview to be very uh, interesting for me. Uh, Speaking of interview, uh, my guest today is Larry Jaffe, who wrote this book called Record Store Day, which is incredible. And you can get a copy of it on our website at otherrecordlabels.com slash books. That's otherrecordlabels.com slash books. I have a link to all of my recommended books there, including uh, today's guest's new book that just came out this year. It's a fantastic read. It, it really gives you a whole lot of empathy and insight into um this, you know, what Record Store Day is and what it continues to do, what, 15 years later. Uh, So I find that really interesting. My guest, Larry, is from the event called Making Vinyl. He's the co-founder of Making Vinyl and uh, a very interesting organization and a symposium event that's coming up as well. Uh, So make sure you check out makingvinyl.com. We talk all about vinyl and we talk all about Record Store Day. And I really think you're going to get a lot out of today's episode. Tell me, um, let's go back to 2007. How dire, how bleak were things looking for record stores uh, back then? Well, 2007 was the year that the final uh, Tower Records stores were liquidated. I think mm-hmm. actually it was December 2006. Okay. Um, and the independent stores were, you know, looking at this and and thinking, you know, do we still have a livelihood? Mm-hmm. Um, now, some of them took the approach that maybe this is an opportunity as opposed to a death sentence. Okay. Um, but there was a, there was the other trend. I mean, not only Tower, but I mean, here in New York. HMV as well as uh, Virgin Megastore had, I think both of them had two stores each, like these department store like, yeah. you know, spaces. Um, and they tried to diversify their merchandising by, you know, getting into t shirts and, you know, accessories. And they sold, you know, uh, DVDs and, you know, anything that was sort of media, popular culture yeah. oriented. Um, but it, I guess the real estate realities plus, you know, we were still dealing with the aftermath of Napster for about a half dozen years Mm -hmm. um, that they said it just wasn't worth it, you know, but they didn't have as big a footprint internationally as Tower did. Right. Um, So... So some of these scrappy stores were thinking, well, they they never really gave up completely on vinyl. And 95% of their sales were basically coming from CDs, mm-hmm. yeah. which 
there wasn't really a, a much of a profit either because it was a fairly low low price product um that you know the, the wholesale cost was was high mm. um so they'd have to eke out a profit you know especially yeah. with, the, with the big box retailers um here in New York they also disappeared but they there were a couple of stores a chain stores like uh the Wiz and the funny thing is I'm wearing a, a crazy Eddie shirt <laughs> uh, um they they disappeared long before the others but Circuit City they would sell sure. new releases uh, on CD for 9.99 $9.99 with the hopes that they would come in and buy a washing machine or something <laughs> yeah. so, so that lost leader uh yeah. reality so then meanwhile these independent stores some of them also diversified into comic books mm. and um also I had a used record section yeah. some of them there weren't there weren't a lot of new records being pressed at that point. Sure. <laughs> so was, yeah. Some, I mean, I, there were some independent labels that were still doing it, some audiophile labels, but um, they they discovered back in two thousand seven to your um, question that these records, as soon as somebody would bring in a collection, they would sell. Now they weren't highly priced. I mean, they're usually like a two dollars or yeah. three dollars. Yeah, um, but it was something to look at. And then on the comic book side, two stores in particular in Maine, um, as well as in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, um, around the same time uh, came up. You know, no, noticed that the the comic book industry had this thing called Free Comic Book Day. The comic book publishers would offer uh, comic books to the stores. Yeah. And I think comic book, I'm not a comic book collector myself, but I think they're very similar to record collectors, mm. you know, certain type of pot, um, personality. I agree. That, yeah. Um, so they said to Michael Kurtz, um, you know, when we try something like this, um, now they, you know, what record store day did was not, give away free records. Right. Um, but they they came up with the idea, well, maybe we could get them to the labels to press limited editions of new vinyl. Sure. Well, the, um, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but the one thing I really yeah. thought was interesting in, in your book was as this comics book day um, was the impetus, but the shift was really interesting that it wasn't necessarily about the format as it was for comic books, it was about the brick and mortar and the nostalgia that we have with the stores. I thought that was an interesting difference. Right. And actually going into the the book, um, I didn't realize that that I thought the, I thought the book was all about the limited editions. Oh, okay. And Michael, as well as Carrie Colleton at Record Store Day, um, they said, no, it's about the record store day. It, it's about record store culture. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, a light bulb went over my head and I said, you know, that's what I experienced at, as a teenager. Mm. Um, I liked hanging out at the record store. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's where you meet friends, you meet bandmates, you learn about new music, you you potentially, you know, meet 
um, girlfriends, boyfriends, yeah. partners, yeah. you know, yeah. spouse. Um, so, and you learn about life, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, for sure. Yeah, so when I realized that that still existed, although I think it lost some of its luster during the CD era, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as as as, as uh, fun as it is now. I think <laughs> I, I would agree. Yeah, I mean, I still enjoyed HMV was the chain we had here in Canada, and uh, I, you know, when I would go to the mall with my my mom or with my girlfriend or something, that's where I would go and spend all my time. But you're right. I mean, it's now it's. I think the there's so much more excitement because of the new and mixed in with the used and all of the possibilities that you can find. I just want to fast forward for a second because, and, and this interview will be all over the place because I just, there's so much to the story and really the history of Record Store Day, um, I really want to, to leave um, for our listeners to, to discover in your book because it's a lot more nuanced than we can cover. But what's so interesting is that when this idea was conceived in, 2008 and and or 2007 2008 and and taken off in 2008 you look now here we are in 2023 and mission accomplished i mean i was just in a record store uh in a small canadian town um i don't even i don't know if this there's not an iconic record store in any way and it was a saturday afternoon in march so we're not talking record store day we're not talking a beautiful summer day and it was packed for no reason, there was no sale. There was there was 30, 40 people in there. Um, the cash register was going nonstop. I spent $80, no special occasion at all. I, I was thinking about that because I thought, what is it, the store's anniversary? No, it's just a Saturday in March. And I thought as I'm reading your book, wow, mission accomplished. If that's what the plan was for these store owners and this association to say, how can we bring attention it looks like it worked. Well, I, I I wouldn't say that was the strategy right from the start. They were just thinking, let's throw it against the wall and see what sticks. Right. You know? Sure. Um, and uh, you know they so they didn't really they 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 knew they had to do something. Mm -hmm. So so let's try this. It was more of um, yeah. You know the, so you're right. Um, I think it exceeded beyond anyone's imagination. Sure. Um, and the way it caught up around, uh, caught up around the world. Um, when, you know, and, and, yeah. when was it mentioned on Saturday Night Live? What year? How many years into it before they joked about it? It's only a year or two. It's in the book. Yeah, I, that's I, right. I, the date. Yeah. Yeah, maybe 2010 um, or, or 2009, maybe even. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Then they made a joke of it. Yeah, that's how you know you made it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I want to talk about, let's talk about vinyl. Um, the the book has some interesting stats back in 2012, so even four years into um, Record Store Day. Vinyl made up 2.4% of physical music. And then 20 years later, um, or or I should say, I guess 10 years later, so, sorry, maybe I'm getting this, this number wrong. I think maybe 2.4 is, is in 2002 was the book. I maybe mis, mistyped that. But we're now to a point where it's um, a significant percentage. I mean, uh, incredibly significant percentage of physical music sales. And I think 
year over year has seen growth um, since since that time uh, you mentioned and not even slowing down in in 2020. Uh, it doesn't appear to be plateauing really. Um, maybe if you zoom out, is this the is this growth that you you think will continue? Like where are we on this trajectory? Do you think? Well, I think we're in a very healthy space and we need to look at what happened over the last few years, especially since the pandemic hit. Um, there were supply chain issues. Mm -hmm. The only, there was, there were only two lacquer suppliers and one of them had a fire that killed right. the business completely. Uh, so this company in Japan has just managed to basically sustain an entire industry, which is pretty incredible. Wow. Um, but I think more importantly to your question, the younger demographic um, are in love with records, vinyl records. And I think part of that is related to the pandemic. So what happened was baby boomers like myself, you know, remembered that I used to like records, you know, and yeah, yeah. I threw them out to get CDs and then, you know, and then they would start reading in the press or saw something on television about vinyl was back and they became intrigued and they needed a hobby. <laughs> spending more time at home than they ever did before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? So, and I think their kids also were intrigued by their parents getting into this stuff. And yeah, certain artists like Fleetwood Mac and the Beatles are timeless. Mm -hmm. yeah, you're going to love that mm -hmm. music. And I know because my daughter is 25 years old and she loves, you know, Fleetwood Mac especially. Mm. Um, so it is sort of like... Um, what, what happened was that younger demographic also had artists like Taylor Swift, Adele, that also saw the potential in vinyl as a deluxe product. And that's that's the, the amazing thing about this comeback. Not only was it resurrected, but it, it became a deluxe product. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in 2022, seven out of the 10 artists were you know either millennial or uh gen z type wow artists you know people like um you know i mentioned taylor swift she yeah. sold almost a million copies of midnight yeah on vinyl wow but um you know it was other kendrick lamar i mean there were there are other genres that haven't even sort of scratched the service mm -hmm. surface mm -hmm. like the the 100 top um, hip-hop records uh, albums, at least, you know, if you go to Spotify, you'll learn that half of them are not even available on vinyl. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, again, that shows potential, you know, if, the, if, if they're there, point. they're available to be bought. But the other thing about the numbers is those numbers... Uh, not to be trusted. <laughs> okay. My, yeah, yeah. I think it's only scratching the surface yeah. of because, and the way I know this is through my other hat, you know, uh, of being the co-founder of making vinyl. Um, now, when we started that in 2017, 
we did it on a hunch. Mm-hmm. You know, we just, you know, saw this trend of, um, you know, demand for vinyl uh, increasing. And we rounded up the dozen or so plants that were already, uh, you know, making records on both sides of the Atlantic, the, the, you know, the bigger names. Yeah. Um, what we didn't know was that there were a dozen companies either already just starting their business or about to start business in the audience. Um, and in 2018, the same thing happened. But what was interesting about 2018 was the RIAA mid-year report had just come out. And I'm I'm just citing from their report from the stage that they said 9.8 million, it was nine nine something million um, units were uh, shipped in the first half of 2018. And in the audience where the major distributors as well as manufacturers are yelling back at me, those numbers are way low. <laughs> and then afterwards, Steve Sheldon, who um, owned uh, Rainbow Records in California, he said to me, I did six million myself. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And they would know so, they have more accurate numbers of what's being yeah, made. No, no, no. We're not suggesting that every record pressed is a record bought at retail. But at the other on the other hand, the reports from retailers, this stuff does get sold by and large. Yeah. You know, and I think the best example of that is here we are more than 15 years into uh almost 16 years into this resurgence and there aren't cutouts like there were in the seventies mm-hmm. and early eighties, you know, that um, you could buy records for a dollar or two brand new records that were still sealed, you know, like the overstock type yeah. stuff. I think if, if, if these records weren't being bought, two things would have happened. They would have um, certainly pressed less mm-hmm. or, um, you know, it, 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 it doesn't make sense that um, or, or cutouts, cutouts would have happened, you know, yeah. would, have, would, have, would have surfaced um, because, you know, it, it could be a potential lucrative business for somebody. Yeah, that's right. Well, oh, that's a great point. And what, when I read that part of your book, I was thinking about our independent labels that that um, listen to this show, including myself. If I'm doing a run of 200 I know that 100 are earmarked for some fans, uh, uh, 50 are going to Bandcamp, 50 are going to the local record store, or I'm selling out of my house. None of those numbers are being reported to SoundScan. Uh, and I'm just talking about 200 here. And I think it's just, uh, it can be said for a lot of stuff that's happening on Bandcamp. And I know if you add a skew, Bandcamp will report it, but not everybody does that. Not everybody will get an individual skew for a short run of a, a hundred or 200. So I think there's a lot of stuff happening on Bandcamp and happening with indie artists in short runs that aren't being reported. You're absolutely right about, it, especially touring artists, mm-hmm. that those records never get um, counted. Um, but also they, the RI double, not RI double I'm sorry, the us, um, what used to be known as Nielsen. Yeah, I don't know Luminate, the new name. Okay. They only have 30% of the independent stores reporting numbers to them. 
Wow. So they are projecting and waiting. And I've, I, I, the first article I did about the vinyl resurgence came out in 2016. And in that, I was able to get somebody from uh, the RIAA admit that they were projecting. Mm, yeah, of um, course. Yeah. So then I asked Luminate this last report that came out that they, they said that it was like 4% growth or something like that. And I said, I just don't buy that based on, you know, what we hear from the manufacturers. And I asked, well, how do you determine these numbers? I mean, what's your methodology? And I received a vague statement about the different, you know, factors that go into this formula, <laughs> yeah. including not only physical, but also digital. Okay. You know, once they did, they melded it together, I was like, you're not telling me what's what the story, what the secret sauce is here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, That's and then funny. the other thing about that, I mean, the, the thing that the mass media love to do, it's clickbait. Yeah. It, they say, you know, records are back, but guess what? 50% of the people buying records don't even have a record player. <laughs> Meaning that the mostly kids, you know, and they just like to put it up on the wall. Sure. And so I went back to Luminate and I said to them, well, is it possible that these purchasers are buying records as a gift for somebody else and they personally don't have a record player? I mean, I studied empirical uh, research <laughs> when I was in grad school. <laughs> you know, and that's yeah. just like a basic, like you could make a survey, you know, support whatever you want. That's but right. this is shoddy, yeah. you know, research and to make it as if it's gospel is 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 you know yeah doing a service to the industry really i i believe oh yeah you know making mine i was actually working on you know coming out with a more comprehensive report about this stuff that's awesome that's exciting um i want to ask you about a potential um well, let me let me tell you my memory of CDs because because I was a teenager and for me, I mean, I, um, my connection with vinyl is more recent because of I, I would have been a kid in the '80s with cassettes, and then when I was a teenager, it was all about CDs. But then when I was in high school, Napster came out, and I saw that what my theory of the death of the CD was was that the mystery was taken away from the CD because when I was a kid, I only knew two people, really one and a half people who had a CD, who had a, they were a band and they had their own CD. It was a pretty novel thing to know somebody in the early 90s, mid 90s, who had their own Glassmaster manufactured CD. So there was this mystery to it. So if a band had their own CD and they were touring with a CD, then they were legit. If you had a real CD, and if, especially if it was in stores, then you were a legit band. And I think once the Napster came along, you could then download the source files. And then a couple years later, you could get your uh, a CD burner at your computer. And then you could get CDs. And very quickly, you could make that once mysterious thing. I'm wondering, is there any sort of potential uh, threat 
to vinyl like that? Is there any sort of, to me, that was the cancer of, of CDs is that it was no longer exciting because we had the files, we could put them on our phone or on our iPod, or we could literally make and print a CD at home. In fact, I remember retailers for a real short window experimenting with print-on-demand CDs in store, which was right. uh, did not work at all. Is there any threat to vinyl? What happens when we can print one-offs or 3D print vinyl? Do you see that? Yeah, in the actually, well, it's not going to happen on the LP side of things. Um, and in fact, um, there was a company um, that uh, started, um, well, they promoted um, for about $1,200. Um, you can make your homemade records. But those were like 10-inch records. I mean, mm. I don't even think they were 10-inch. I think they were like somewhere between 7 and 10-inch. Okay. Um, and you could only put like maybe the most 10 minutes of music on one side. Right. Um, so it was basically, you know, it might be useful for um, a musician. Um, I think the, the bigger threat is actually um, uh, overseas uh, bootlegs. Oh, yeah. Um, now, it's interesting. The capacity crunch that took place over the past four or five years, the demand exceeded. And as a result, you might have to wait as much as 10 months to put in an order and actually get your records. Mm -hmm. That's not the case right now. It's like down to like three months or so because yep. major plants have increased capacity substantially. And then all these new smaller plants came about. But those the, the new small plants are going to realize that one or even two pressing machines might not cut it in terms of, you know, getting the economies of scale, mm -hmm. you know, because the raw materials are expensive and, and mm -hmm. you know, that. So it'll be interesting, but I want to get back to what you were saying about the CD stuff. Yeah. So in the early 80s, the, the music industry really had to figure out something new. Um, because a couple of things started competing with it. One was MTV. You know, you you had if you had cable TV, you, you were able to see the latest hits and even some of the old ones um, with pictures. I mean, it was even better. You know, it was mm -hmm. even great. And then you also had the VCR. You could record it. And then you had, you know, later on you had, um, I mean, around the same time you had video games emerging in the late 70s. Um, and young people who were like the primary buyer of records all of a sudden didn't care. They had other pastimes mm. to deal with, you know. So I, so I think the CD came around at the perfect time. But what's really interesting is the way that they made it stick was... And, and, and in short, the, that the LP would be replaced is they said, well, we won't take returns any longer on LPs, unsold mm. merchandise. Yeah. But we will on CDs uh, to make sure that the retailers stock them. Yeah, so no risk. Right. right. Um, and... You know, the interesting thing about that is, so that, that happened with the final major labels basically said, we're not going to 
give you the option to, you know, it's a one-way transaction. That happened in like 1991. Mm -hmm. um, but there was like an interim period, I think it was from like about 1985 to 1990 or so that cassettes were like the most popular um, uh, format. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was just like an interim step, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which I, I find really interesting, but going back to how the LP came back this time, it was the same thing. They basically said, we're not going to accept returns. So when, when Record Store Day emerged, they said, we'll press them, but it's a one-way transaction. Right. Not gonna, we're not going to take anything back. Now, that actually helped in another way, too, because obviously during the 80s, there was a lot of corruption going on. Mm. And I mentioned the cutouts, that was part of it, but there was also more than that, um, you know, two sets of books, the old uh, adage, you know, ship platinum, return gold. Yeah, right, that's right. <laughs> or, or, or even vice versa. Yeah, <laughs> you know? so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You know, and, and major records, I remember, you know, buying cutouts by The Who and things like that, you think these had to sell better than, you know, yeah. What was happening here? Um, so that, and, and also, I mean, there's this whole gray area type of thing of um, counterfeits. Um, and, you know, I recently bought, I mean, the past year, I, I was in London, actually, and I bought a Sonic Youth record that I had never seen on vinyl before. And it turned out to be a bootleg, but it was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> it sounded pretty good. <laughs> Yeah. The artwork yeah. was not bad. Yeah. Yeah. It was it it wasn't like a shoddy type of bootleg. Um so um but I, I you know I think the other thing that CD did was get people to used to paying twice as much for what they already owned. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if the vinyl resurgent would have happened the same way. You know, that they could start charging $25 for a record. Right. If it wasn't for, you know... Now, millennials have no idea. <laughs> you know, like, they didn't know that the first CDs were $18 and things like right. that. Right, You know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I edited a magazine for eight years called Media Line that covered CD, D, CD and DVD production mm. and manufacturing. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, CDs were very good to me. And, you know, <laughs> I still, it's interesting. I still own probably about 1,200, 1,500 CDs that wow. I never, I mean, but I had pared down that. Yeah, um, yeah. I have you know, two. I have two. I, I don't have 1,500. I probably have 100, but I've pared down from maybe 400. Uh, yeah. I, and, and I mean, the other thing is I, in a moment of madness, this was after my magazine um, was killed. Well, first I was let go, and then they were selling the company, and it held on for a few more months. But you know, then they killed it completely. Mm -hmm. So I decided to sell my vinyl, most of my vinyl collection, my DVD collection, and my CD collection. Um, I did hold uh, on to like about a thousand CDs, um, and I held on to about 150 records. Although I had two different boxes that said "Do not touch," and one <laughs> disappeared, and there was like really good stuff oh, wow. lost in that one, you know, like a 
autographed copy of Patti Smith's Radio Ethiopia. Oh, wow. And um, first um, first edition of Roxy Music and yeah. collectible yeah, type yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so let me, okay, so let's go to back to Record Store Day and, and tackle some of the topics around that. I, I read that about, and especially how we're going to relate this to our audience of of small independent record labels. But I read from you that about half of the music submitted, and this is something I had no idea was really going on, but half of the music submitted to the Record Store Day committee doesn't get accepted. Uh, this was surprising to me. Can you explain how this process works, how a title becomes a Record Store Day title? Well, this is how... I I was told about how it happens, uh, that there is a committee, um, that there's some sort of form, and the label needs to make the case, what's so unusual about this? Right. Um, And, you know, if it's just a reissue, a lot of times they won't do it. Mm. Unless it was something that was out of print for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I haven't sat in on any of those meetings that determine this. Um, I, you know, I mean, one of the complaints about Record Store Day, I don't know if this is one of your questions, but that there's too much. There's a glut. You know, okay. it's hard to buy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and which I think is a is a fair from the uh, perspective they, of the buyer or for the customer. Um, what do you mean, the buyer or like the customer? From from uh, there's too much um, the titles the, from the, the record consumer. stores. No, from the consumer okay. perspective. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, the stores too have that complaint yeah. too. Yeah. They can't. They can't really pay for that much. Yeah. Stock at one time. Yeah. Um, and then especially after. I mean, the pandemic, they really had no choice. Mm. They needed to make it safe, and they kept on, you know, um, pushing the date, and then they broke it up into three different yeah. drops. Yeah. And then the next year, they did two drops. Um, and But, you know, getting back to what you said earlier, uh, I meant to mention this. Um, I mean, their philosophy is every day is record store day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it did make, like, special days, and then they, you know, I think it was about six years or seven years into it, they they introduced Black Friday. Right. Like, with another, yeah. you know, round of, like, limited editions. All I know is every record store day or Black Friday, I'm set back at least three, four hundred dollars. <laughs> so, I mean, I did my taxes a few weeks ago and I realized I spent four thousand dollars on records last year. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I, I don't want to add that up. I'm probably in the same boat. I don't want to add that up. Um, you yeah, know, no, that's interesting. And I mean, I had a, a record store on the show. We were talking about record stores, indie record stores, and he's a friend of mine. And 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 I asked him about record store day, and I was I was expecting some juicy um, you know, insights into how it's this corrupt thing and how he hates it. Uh, but he had nothing but good things to say about it and how it really is. And I think you had mentioned this a little bit in your book is how it really is just one day, but it has 
affected the other 364 days when it comes to people's interest in vinyl and people's interest in record stores. And so, and I, and I know that you've talked, I think that the team at Record Store Day has defended the how expensive and how little margins are in these actual titles. But these titles are really just billboards for vinyl and for record stores. And so, I, I, I mean, I know, I still know that the, the guy who I had on the show that record store day is still his biggest day. Um, but uh, it, the fact that it's, you know, raised uh, every other day of the year is the bigger story for him that he's happy about. Yeah. I think also in terms of uh, record store day, what, what really bothers them is when um, on eBay, you know, people will start selling even before record store day, they will Crazy. list records that they don't obviously have in hand because the only people who have them are, you know, the distributors mm. at that stage. Um, they usually ship to the retailers about two weeks before. Um, and you know, that they speculate with these ridiculous prices. I mean, you know, and the other thing about, the misconception about record store days record store day doesn't have any kind of economic um piece of the pie okay they don't they don't receive a percentage of those sales that's very interesting and sell the records yeah you know yeah, yeah. Um, um are they yeah. like a non-profit or or how is it is it who owns this trademark it, yeah i mean i know like they, they protect the trademark and you know i I think it's in the book. There was um, an organization that was trying to do something similar in Australia, and um, but they didn't want to follow the rules that Record Store Day has set up for mm. retailers. Um, okay. Yeah, and so they did not get permission. Mm. They still did anyway, but it didn't. You know, bombed. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, what so? What role do you think really small indie labels play in Record Store Day? And I, I understand that this you can't just submit a record uh, to the list. Um, it, it, I think it takes some of the scarcity and some of the interest and excitement out of this list. But what role then should us small indies play in Record Store Day? It seems like there isn't much for us to do but just to sit back and watch and hope that the tide you know, raises all boats. Well, I mean, honestly, I don't know if an independent label needs record store day. Mm. Uh, it's basically the key to any successful business. Mm. Know your customers have a database and market to them directly. Mm. Um, you know, it'd be great if you could get retail distribution, of course. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's like a cachet with if you put the gold stamp on it, it makes it seem more valuable. Yeah, that's like, true. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, especially touring bands, I don't think that would make a difference. Mm. You know, if you're going to sell a single, you know. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I think that's a good point. Um Talk to me about Record Store Day and the current culture around vinyl um, and what it's done for the public's appreciation and expectation of artwork 
and packaging. It's one of my favorite parts of the Renaissance. And and I, I had a distributor tell me a couple of years ago, don't bother with black. Like people don't want black vinyl anymore. And uh, it and and you can smell a major label release from a mile away as soon as you open it up. There's no inserts. It's it's not reverse board. It's not gatefold. It's a black vinyl. Um, I, I'm just kind of curious as to what you've noticed when it comes. I think you mentioned earlier in our conversation about it's a it's a deluxe. It's all about deluxe now and and premium products. Right. Well, actually, you just reminded me of um, when you mentioned the artwork. I mean, so this was a record store day release. Uh, mm. It was on Modern Harmonic, which is uh, an offshoot of Sundays. Yep. Uh, which, by the way, Sundays founder Bob Irwin back in two thousand and two. I interviewed him, and he told me, "Vinyl is back." In two thousand two. Wow. I thought he was kind of crazy. I didn't believe him. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and. But it, but in any case, he was obviously right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, I mean, getting back to this, I mean, it's it's a it's an album of Middle Eastern music, which I sort of am always been intrigued by, mm. and but I just thought the artwork was so fantastic. It's a three record set, so it was a, it was pretty pricey. Yeah, and, but I loved it. You yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was it was definitely worthwhile. Um, usually every record store day, I buy one thing that I wasn't planning on going in for, um, could have been like a band that I liked years ago and just didn't have many of their albums or, um, or something unusual like that, you know, yeah. that just caught my eye. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And that's a part of it that I like. And I think you alluded to why the majors, um, have been reluctant uh, to get involved or to do certain things because they're all about the margins. And I think you had mentioned something interesting about they just have like internal policies that they're not allowed to exceed a certain price when it comes to our costs, when it comes to packaging. I find that to be really interesting. And it's really where indies have, especially bigger indies like Numero Group and, and Light in the Attic, where they can do really special packaging. Yeah, it's true. I mean, Light in the Attic put out that great um, um, Lou Reed record last mm -hmm. week of his earliest music mm -hmm. and the packaging. I don't have the deluxe one. I have the, the, the standard yeah. release, uh, but I was intrigued by the deluxe. Um, but also, I just want to say about indie records, I mean, indie record labels, um, the book also gets into some of the stories behind the labels and how they uh, jumped into it, you know, so specifically Sub Pop and Epitaph, yep. were two yep. labels that, you know, uh, were early supporters of Record Store Day, but also were doing it even before Record Store Day, mm. especially on the singles side. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. I remember punk. I mean, I, I never participated, but I had a lot of friends in the early 2000s who we're collecting punk seven inches. And I mean, you know, people criticize the teenage girls for buying records and not listening to them. But I had a lot of buddies who didn't have a turntable and were collecting seven inch punk <laughs> records in the early 2000s. Uh, is there right. a place for tapes and CDs in this story? I mean, it's about record stores. Um, yeah. I, 
I kind of wonder, does the event run the risk of becoming elitist in any way with the, the emphasis on this big ticket, 40, 50, $60 records? Um, well, I mean, the past few record store days have had, well, it's not only the last few. I mean, going dating back to the earliest days, they've had CD releases on record store day mm. with the record store day stamp. They've also done some tapes, cassettes in recent years too. Um, so I don't know if it's the format, but I mean, I guess, you know, one of the reasons why the CD has had a bit of a resurgence was because there was a backlog in getting records pressed. Um, and cassettes actually sort of benefited from that too. Yeah. I don't think either one of them are going to return on the same level that vinyl has. Um, I would, but, yeah. but there's a niche, and again, there's an intrigue by the younger generation about tapes, you know, and mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. CDs to some extent. I mean, I, 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 I plan on making a list of my 100 favorite CDs. And these are things that it never came out on vinyl, probably will never come out in vinyl. Mm. Um, you know, and how I will never, ever sell them. <laughs> you know? Interesting. I mean, I'm thinking about paring down, you know, now, yeah, I'd, I said I sold most of my 4,000 LP record collection, but I've rebuilt it to around that same level wow. after over the last 10 years. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and is that thanks to Record Store Day? No, actually, no. and here's one of the ironic, funny things about you know writing the book. Um, I didn't even know Record Store Day existed until I think it was like towards the end of 2013. Wow! Um, I was in my friend's record store, and I came across this 12-inch um, EP of the Civil Wars. Mm -hmm. A band that I heard a little bit on the radio, and I just loved. I mean, I'm not a huge country music fan, but you know, I do have some favorites, and I just loved how the voices intertwined and everything like that. And there was a record store day stamp on it, and I said to my friend, "What's record store day?" <laughs> <laughs> like I was totally out the wow. lunch because I was so new to getting back into yeah, yeah. that. You know, so. Um. He goes, oh, it's like this, you know, sort of holiday that they put out limited edition stuff. And yeah, yeah. So the next April, I had the list in hand. I, you yeah, know, that, yeah. that 2014, April 2014, I was ready to go. Yeah. You know, right online outside of another major store, you know. Gosh, <laughs> it, the event of it and the scarcity of it, and I know a lot of record stores will do... Uh, 25% off or they'll, they'll make it, they'll do other things. They'll have giveaways of their own. Um, I think that's what really makes it special is the fear of missing out. That's exactly true. Mm. Yeah. FOMO. Yeah. Um, I think also uh, you bring up a really good point. What if you own a record store that just only sells used, used product? Can you, you know, celebrate record store day? Right. Can you, you, the only thing you can't do because you've already decided that you're not going to buy the record store day releases, you know, quote unquote releases. Um, but you can have like a sale twenty percent off yeah. on that, day right? And get people to come in and have bands play, and you know, 
coffee and donuts or whatever you want to. I was you know. surprised to learn that the record stores aren't beholden to purchasing a certain a minimum quantity of the exclusive releases or all of them. I, I found that to be interesting. I kind of had assumed that to be a participating store, you had to commit to $1,000 or $5,000 worth of inventory, but that's not the case. Well, that's really a relationship between the retailer and the distributor. Mm. Um, you know, and there are several distributors that handle record store day releases. Um, but you're right. That, you know, and I have the, the store that I was talking about where I first learned about record store day, he spent about four years not doing record store day because it was just getting too expensive for him. And this is the first year he's going back into it. I found out mm, last mm, week. Yeah. And um, I said, well, how many pieces are you buying? And he said only, you know, one or two, um, you know, and he's yeah. selective titles and, yeah. you know, um, yeah. Yeah. so which, which is, I think, the right way to do it. Don't overextend yourself. I mean, uh, but there are other stores that I'm friendly with that, that will buy almost everything available, you know. Um, yeah, I think it definitely comes down to the size of the store and the location of the store. I'm sure Grimey's would buy 100, 200 of every title and be fine, whereas, you know, my uh, some of my local stores in lo little towns, um, there's usually a box of Record Store Day titles that are available several months after the event. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to you can't expect everything was going to sell, but that, I think that's good that the, the variety is still there in the store. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and the other thing, but getting back to the pandemic, is the, here's an example of Record Store Day loosening the previous rules. There used to be you couldn't sell your Record Store Day releases online. Well, now because of health, safety yep. reasons, um, they had this new rule that says like the day after, right. you know, that morning you can put them online, um, which I, th I think was the right Absolutely. strategy. Yeah. Yeah. So the and stores the, can sell them now. People, yeah. 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 And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, uh, and some people don't live near a record store. You yeah. Know, so that's, yeah. that might be the only way that they yeah. can get. Yeah. Yeah. I had people um, plead with me, you know, so, I mean, this is the paper pack, version of it and but I, there was a canadian buyer um who wanted the hardcover that came with a limited edition record of record store day and that record store performances it wasn't necessarily on record store day okay and i told him of one store that i knew had a lot of them in stock but apparently it, the way the it was the release was planned it would only be sold in the U.S. Um, wow. Yeah, so I, I'm not sure if he eventually did get. The, I felt bad for him. Yeah, I didn't have one to give him myself, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get. It's funny. I only had five of them from the publisher, and I gave one to Jack White personally. I mailed one to Paul McCartney. I hope he received it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, um, my daughter has one. I, I think I have one or two left. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. No, that's really interesting. I, 
one of the things I've been kind of advocating for, and I think this the same is true for streaming, but um, I think that I don't have a problem with the price of vinyl. And I just bought a, a, a reissue vinyl for $44.99 here in Canada. There's no, really nothing special about it other than it was clear, but it was it, the record was recorded 50, 60 years ago. So it's they've already made their money on it. I didn't have a problem with it because of what I believe in, even though the, you know, the money's not going anywhere great, but I have a, no problem with this the price going up because of the packaging that we're putting into it. The amount of, you talk a lot in your book about how it's a handmade product. And so many people have their hands on it and the vinyl manufacturing right. process, such a delicate process and there's so many different components to it. We talked about that in our interview with Karen from Key Production Group. And it's just, you know, people under uh, appreciate how much is involved in making this physical product. Not to mention the mastering engineers, the mix engineers, the recording engineers, and the artists themselves who have to write and perform these songs. So the idea of a, a finished record that's really beautiful, that's in color vinyl and maybe has some special inserts, the idea of that costing, I mean, that should cost $50. It should cost $100 if it's something that you're going to have for the rest of your life. What are your thoughts on price? Because I personally, and I, one more thought, I mean, I'm, I just sent an order for a, a limited pressing of 200 records and I'm doing the math and I'm like, I'm thinking there's a hundred clear and a hundred speckle and I'm, you know, you're getting one of a hundred records. Um, we should be able to charge $25, $30 for that and have no complaints. What are your thoughts about pricing? Well, I've heard that, especially on the major label side, uh, Universal is bumped up by a few dollars, the suggested mm -hmm. retail price. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure how much of that is just jumping on the bandwagon and running with it versus passing on the cost because the major labels are not pressing their own stuff anymore. They're outsourcing the stuff and mm -hmm. they're 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 receiving the blind share of the money that comes back. Right, right. Um, you know, they in some some to some extent they'll license titles um, to um, other reissue labels and, and and things like that. Um, the like I said, the costs are a definite issue um, in terms of. Um, but, you know, one thing that you mentioned before about the colors, um, yeah, I some consumers, you know, want that for collectability reasons. I personally don't care. <laughs> um, I, I'm fine with a black record. Um, yeah. I do. That's not to say I don't have picture discs and, you know, some colored records. But... Um, and we, you know, we actually do have a category in the Making Vinyl Packaging Awards for, um, we call it record art. And uh, I mean, some of those things are just, um, in fact, I posted yesterday a making on the Making Vinyl Facebook page, um, something from Women in Vinyl, they had from Cascade um, in Oregon, um, how they make the splattered records, you know, how it right. takes puck and something. I had never seen that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I was like, well, that is cool. You yeah. Know? So, yeah, I have some of those records. But um, um, 
It, it, but it does cost a little bit more when they make the, you know, the oh, special. Oh, sure. Cards. Yeah. So, they got to clean so, the machines. And, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. So, um, you, you, think, you don't think price is getting out of hand? Or you, you think prices are you know, appropriate? What I say is go to a used record store and comb the $3 section. You'll find amazing stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, that's true. And, my, you know, and even, I mean, well, this is really interesting. I, um, I teach in Newark, New Jersey, um, um, at Rutgers University, which just went on strike yesterday, and I was walking the picket line. But at the university is the Institute of Jazz Studies, um, and I was already planning a trip for my class, my news writing class, there to do a special event. You know, how here's this amazing resource right in your midst and you don't even know it's here. Yeah. And, you know, in their collection, they have such things as Miles Davis's trumpet and, wow. and Fitzgerald's wig and Billie Holiday's jewelry. I mean, it's really, really yeah, yeah. amazing. Core. Um, but um, I... Right before we were to do this field trip, Wayne Shorter died. Now, I knew Wayne Shorter a little bit from his work uh, uh, with Miles Davis and Weather Report. Um, my favorite Miles record is In a Silent Way, and Wayne was the you know, sax player on that. But I'm reading his obituary, and he was born in Newark. Hmm. And I'm like, whoa, you know, so I mean, here I'm able, I'm teaching a bunch of like 20 year olds, um, and you know, maybe they'll take some pride in this that, you know, they grew up in Newark, so did yeah. he, you know. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. And sure, really, they really, really, you know, got into it. So getting back to your price issue, um, I go on Spotify and I realized one of Wayne's last releases was um, this manga uh, opus of... Um, that he had thought about ever since he was a kid. He was into... Um, comic books, and but he drew his like own graphic novels, mm. and he had like this whole science fiction, you know, story. And so he collaborated. He was already in his eighties when he's doing this. Collaborated with a, a, an artist, and Blue Note came out with this uh, book, um, with this release that I think sold initially for about one hundred and fifty dollars or so, something like that, because it was a graphic novel wow. hard cover and three record set and all the stuff beautiful packaging yeah and i listened to it on spotify i was mesmerized by it i mean because it wasn't even jazz it was more classical music actually sure. which i don't i'm a neophyte i you know yeah um but um i was like i have to have this <laughs> so combing amazon which i usually try to stay away from but sure. sometimes i you know yeah and uh, I've, I've found one for $160. It was out of print, you know, Not bad. Uh, limited edition type of thing. Never like any kind of like version without the book. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Like yeah. Um, CDs were even, the CD was really expensive as well. Wow. And the, 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 one, the one I bought also came with the CD version of it. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah. So, <laughs> um and then I, I'm going through his you know his records and I find 
two of his studio records and um i you know i checked there's a really good jazz record store here in manhattan um he was all out of Wayne shorter i wouldn't be surprised if they sold one you know once he passed away or something yeah that's right yeah so 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 then this one album i i can't find anywhere it was his first as a band leader on blue note and i go on ebay and there it is for 22 dollars sealed um whereas um discogs they're like 40 50 dollars yeah. <laughs> so wow. I mean, my, my point is you, you know you, you should shop around yeah you know? yeah I'm, yeah on the other hand you're right about fomo though because there have been times when i've seen records um in stores and for whatever reason i hesitated didn't walk away with it probably because i was buying other stuff or whatever and i regret it mm. you know mm. it, it happens yeah um yeah no, I hear you. Listen, I, I want our listeners to um, pick up this book because the whole story is very interesting. For me, it, you know, what ends up happening in our culture, especially with the internet, is there are these grassroots things that happen. We all get behind it. We all love it. We all find the beauty in it. And then inevitably, people get jaded about things. And 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 I, I feel like that in, in ways have happened with... Um, with record store days that people look for things to criticize. I found the book um, opened my eyes up to a lot of things that I maybe had some myths that I had thought about. But what is so beautiful is that it's how it continues to excite people about the format and uh, and about record stores. And and I, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, you can go to a record store any day of the week now and shop with other people. And so anyway, I want our folks to, to grab the book and to check it out. And thank you so much for, for doing this. It's been great to, t to chat with you. I appreciate that, Scott. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can get Larry's new book called Record Store Day, The Most Improbable Comeback of the 21st Century by going to otherrecordlabels.com slash books. Now, remember, um, I'm, I'm kind of taking some, I, I, I want to outline a few takeaways from today's interview and some things that I think that us as independent record labels or even as independent musicians can do to help celebrate Record Store Day. Because if you can't get your releases onto this list that Larry was talking about, which I think for a lot of us, it is next to impossible to be able to convince them to release one of our titles or to make uh, one of our titles an official Record Store Day release. Uh, but there's still a lot that we can do to celebrate our catalog, celebrate our artists, but more importantly, to help promote and uh, nurture our relationship with our local record store and to celebrate Record Store Day and to celebrate our record stores. And so I'm going to write an article, of course, where our, all of our featured articles are on our website, otherrecordlabels.com, and, and there's an alphabetical list of articles there. Just click on the Record Store Day article and I, where I share some tips for record labels, uh, things that we can do to help celebrate our local record store. Cause it's kind of like our position is kind of like, okay, what what's in it for us? Like, what are we supposed to do? This seems to be about vinyl and about local record stores, which is cool, but what should us as labels be doing? I hope you found this interview helpful. Go to otherrecordlabels.com slash books to grab Larry's book. And I really suggest you do. Thanks for listening.